So, uh, those of you who are visitors to us or haven't been here for a little while, we're in the middle of a series uh, called Digging into, Deeper into Jesus and we're looking through the Gospel of John together and we've been looking at the I Am statements uh, throughout the Gospel of John and we've done a number of them already and we're up to, I think it's our fifth one this week and we've got two more to go. There's seven I Am statements in uh, John and we've been working through them together and we've been thinking about what it means uh, to dig deep in Jesus, understand who he is. And as we've been going through that, uh, we've been seeing that Jesus has continually been saying, come and see. Come and check me out. Come and see who I am. Uh, and he's been doing that throughout the, the Gospel of John. He's been telling us that he is the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says uh, that I am the good shepherd and I am the gate. And all those things give us a picture of who he is. Uh, and it's been building up, hasn't it? And we've been seeing that there's some people that have been saying, he's crazy, he's off his nut, he's a madman, he's of the devil. And then there's been others that have been saying, no, 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 maybe he really is the Messiah, maybe he really is divine, maybe he really is God. And Jesus has been saying constantly, come and see. Come and check me out. Well, today we come to a passage that really is one of a kind. Uh, it's a passage that uh, you may have heard about and you may even have read about. But I want you to try and take yourself into the situation today and imagine being there for the first time. Imagine being in Israel... There's been all these stories about Jesus going on. There's people coming to him, saying those different things. And there's one family particularly that Jesus has really connected well with. It's Martha, Mary and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. And we're going to enter into that story this morning. Uh, it's the whole of John chapter 11. Uh, so we're going to get to chapter verse 45 today. Uh, and we're going to do this a little bit differently. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the first 27 verses. Well, Joan's going to come and read it for us. And then we're going to watch the next few verses on the screen. Please, see if you can remove yourself out of the 20th century for a moment. Place yourself in the first century. And almost, if you can, I don't know whether you can do this, but in one sense, place away from you what you've heard before, and just grasp this story because this is one phenomenal story. If you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 11. If you've got your service sheets, open up and you'll see it's printed there for you. Jane's going to read it for us. I am the resurrection, John chapter 11, verses 1 to 27. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, 
so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus hath fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. May the Lord bless this reading. Thanks, Jen. The teacher's there. And is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary, comforting her, followed her when they saw her get up and hurry out. They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, 
and he was deeply moved. Where have you buried him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, He gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away. That would be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? They took the stone away. Jesus looked up. I thank you, Father, that you listen to me. I know that you always listen to me. But I say this for the sake of the people here, so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, and feet wrapped in grave clothes and with a cloth round his face. Untie him and let him go. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did, and they believed in him. It's a crisis story, isn't it? Seriously. If that, if that doesn't blow you away, there's not many stories that will blow you away, isn't it? I mean... That just does not happen. People don't come back from the dead and people don't call people out from the dead and they walk out. But Jesus does. Jesus calls out Lazarus. It's phenomenal, isn't it? 
it's interesting, in the King James Version, they use the word for what it would have been like. You know when uh, Mary says, or Martha says, uh, uh, it'll be a bad odour, uh, the King James Version says, he stinketh. Uh, he would have stunk, wouldn't he? It stink, imagine that. The odour that would have come through, it would have been foul. Four days, he was dead. Now that's significant. Because at four days, a body starts to decompose. And that's why he would have stunk, stunketh. But also, in Jewish times, back then, there was this sense that after four days, uh, the spirit that was hovering, that they believed was there, would have been gone. And so after four days, this is like, this, this is impossible. There's, there is no way that this could happen. But Jesus calls him out. Amazing story, isn't it? It's a crazy story. Uh, this Jesus was dead. Sorry, this Lazarus was dead. He was dead. Uh, who's seen the Monty Python skit with the dead parrot? That's it. He was deceased. He was no longer liveth. He is pushing up daisies. He's expired his last breath. That's how dead he is. Uh, Warwick and Jenny probably drove past this sign in Vanuatu on the golf course. There's a sign on the golf course in Vanuatu that says, Beware golf ball. Kill him, you dead. Uh, double dead, isn't it? It's like kill him. Well, and then you're dead. You're dead as well. Uh, you know, it's a double dead. Uh, that's the sense here. Lazarus is gone. But Jesus calls him out and he lives. Have that sense as we delve into this this morning. We're just going to touch into a couple of spots for you. There's so much in this passage. I'm not going to jump back to the first part of it. You need to read chapter the first part of chapter 11 to get what was going on. If you continue on in chapter 11, Lazarus, we get to see him eating with Jesus as well. You get to see the story continue. We're just going to dive into this middle bit and see what it says to us this morning. And the first thing we see that... Uh, Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary, have a problem. Their beloved brother is dead. I don't know whether you've ever been uh, in a place where you've been watching someone that you love slowly die. As you watch the body slowly disintegrate, slowly wind down, and then no more. I think possibly for Lazarus, this wasn't slow. This was sudden. He had a violent reaction or virus or something that took his life in a very painful and violent way. And within that, Mary and Martha had been sitting and watching. They would have been emotionally spent. If you've ever been in that situation, you know that. You, you ride it. You ride every bump and every rise and every fall and you're just on edge the whole time. They would have been emotionally at their end and then he dies and they would have been the pain of that 
as well. And remember in the story that we read that they sent word to Jesus to come, but Jesus didn't come. So their saviour, the guy that they're trying to work out who it is, but they love dearly and they've got a thought that he's possibly the Messiah, the Son of God, who could do something about it, doesn't come, doesn't turn up. They're, they're in pain. They're reeling. They're feeling it deeply. And so they both, when they see him, don't they, they both rush up to Jesus. They say, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Feel their angst? Feel their pain? And they come to Jesus and say, mate, what's going on? Seriously, you, you could have saved our brother here. And they're in pain because their brother died. They're in pain because this Jesus they thought was going to could save him didn't turn up. You can feel that, can't you? And you can understand that. Because we understand that too, don't we? There's times when we think, God, how come you haven't turned up in this situation? Jesus, how come you haven't taken this away? What, what, what's going on here? What's, what, perfect timing doesn't seem like perfect timing to me. The questions aren't wrong, but the questions aren't complete, are they? They're not wrong, but they're not complete because they don't know the end story. Remember that, Martha and Mary don't know what's about to happen. We do. But we don't know our end story either, do we? But God does. We can ask the question... But in that question, can we trust God's answer? Well, Mary and Martha are working through that themselves, aren't they? They're saying, well, what's going on? Uh, and Martha even gives a bit of a theological answer here. There's sort of a question, they're saying, Don't, do you believe in the resurrection? And Martha says, yeah, I believe in resurrection at the end times when people come back. Now, that's a, that's a good move. That's a good answer. It's a theological answer. It's, it's true. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but the answer still isn't complete because she doesn't exactly know who she's speaking to yet. You see, Jesus is saying, come and see. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I can do? And Jesus says to her, and he gives her the answer. You see, Mary's Martha says, I don't know what's going on, why aren't you here? Mary says, if you had been here, the mourners, if you had seen in the story, they're saying, well, he could heal the blind, why didn't he save Lazarus? They're all going on about all this stuff and they're all got this big problem that Lazarus is dead and they don't know the answer to it and then Jesus gives them the I am statement in verse 25 and 26. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, 
Mary and Martha had a problem. The mourners had a problem. We have a problem. Death seems to be the end. Life seems to be in turmoil and we're unsure how it's all going to come together. And Jesus says the answer is me. He says, I am your answer. I am the resurrection and the life. Now next week we're going to turn through a little bit more what it means to be the life uh, because Jesus says I'm the way the truth and the life next week but this week we're going to look at is the resurrection because he's that's the answer that's the answer to the right timing that's the answer to the big problems that we have that's the answer to all as Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life Stunning statement, isn't it? No one else is, nothing else is. It's me. Come to me. Come and see me. I am it. And I'll give you the true resurrection and I'll give you the true life. So he goes on, doesn't he? In the middle of this, this is what he's saying to the people. This is what he's saying to you and me. This is what he's saying to Mary and Martha and the mourners. He's saying to you, I love you and my love for you is not specifically sparing you suffering and physical death, but my love for you is the gift of myself. Me and my glory, come and see. I have so much more to show you. This is only the beginning. Because I am the resurrection See, Mary and Martha's problem seems to be that their brother is dead, but there's a bigger problem underneath, isn't it? The problem of death, ultimately, where sin, the devil, and death can hit all of us, that's the big problem that everybody has. This problem here is only small in comparison to this one. Yes, death is not good, and we're going to see how Jesus responds to that, but there's a bigger problem that Jesus wants to deal with, and he's going to give that answer, and this answer is going to be seen particularly in Lazarus, but more specifically in Jesus own death and resurrection. But in Jesus' response to this is the shortest verse in the Bible. You want to have a memory verse? This is it. Jesus wept. Now in that clip, I don't think they showed that particularly well because when it means wept here, it wasn't that he had a tear running down his eye. It was literally that he was crying and weeping. It's powerful two words. Sometimes we think of Jesus as this sort of figure over here. God come to earth, human, yeah. But we, we, how, do we, how do we grasp hold of what this guy's like? Well, in this passage, in those two words, we get a deep insight into Jesus. Jesus wept. He felt it. He felt that pain. He felt that death. He felt that brokenness of this world around us. He cried. Loved Lazarus, he loved Mary, he loved Martha, he loves us. He feels that. He 
His humanness is so evident here. Jesus wept and weeps. He feels it. You see, Jesus' uh, response to Mary and Martha wasn't, okay, girls, I've got it sorted. Wasn't that, was it? Wasn't cocky. Wasn't like, oh, I've got it all sorted over here. It wasn't that doctor. You know those doctors that come up to you, those ones with that really good bedside manner? You stand at a distance and go, okay, yep, you've got cancer. Yep, you're going to die. Yep, we've got nothing we can do. Thanks. That bedside manner where you just think, oh, man, if they just have this empathy here for us. That's not Jesus. He's not disassociated from us. He's not separate from that sense. He's in it with us. Jesus weeps. It says that Jesus was moved twice. It says he was moved deeply in his spirit and troubled. And then verse 3, but Jesus once more was deeply moved. This is a guy who feels. He's a sensitive new age guy, isn't it? Before he was a snag, before we ever knew about it. He wasn't, a, he wasn't, a, he wasn't scared to cry. He wasn't scared to put his emotionals out on the end there. He wasn't going to have it on his sleeve. Where it was right and where it was appropriate, he let it out. It's a great lesson for some of us blokes that we need to think we've got to have that stiff upper lip. Carry it all ourselves, guys. Don't let any emotion out. We're tough. Macho, aren't we? Whew, yeah. Garbage. That's pathetic, guys. We're not supposed to be like that. Jesus, the creator of everything, weeps and is deeply moved internally for those when he sees pain around them. Yes, he steps in and does something, and God's good to step in and do stuff when we need to, and girls. But we need to feel it too, don't we? Feel that pain. That deeply moved picture here that Jesus has has two sides to it. One is that uh, it says it's like there's a sense that he was angry within his soul, that he was churned up with inside him and some think that he was churned up in one sense because these people don't recognise who I am and they haven't worked it out yet and they don't realise what I can do. So there's a little sense that he's a bit annoyed with the fact that people haven't done this. But there's secondly a sense that he's really annoyed that he sees the brokenness of this world impacting someone he loves. You see, Jesus created the world and he created it perfectly. He knows what this world should be like. He knows what it can be like. He intimately knows that because he created it. So when he sees it broken, it breaks his heart. When he sees death, the greatest destroyer in this world, when he sees that, he knows that wasn't what it shouldn't be and he feels it here. It wreaks havoc in him. That's how Jesus feels about your brokenness too. He hates it. It it churns him up on the inside because he knows that's not what it's supposed to be. He knows that's not what it's going to be. But here and now he feels it with us. And then come those verses, don't they? We get all this emotion we feel that you can, you can feel that tension in the movie can you? they're walking towards the tomb they go towards the tomb it's been rolled over and inside is a stinketh body and Jesus says roll back the stone and the people cover their mouths and they cough the smell is foul it's horrible 
Have you ever done been to one of those fridges? You know those fridges when you've got something in there and you crack it open and poof, just knocks you back? There's something foul inside that fridge. It's a horrible smell. It really does reek because it's dead. It's not the way it should be. It's dead. It's horrible. And as they crack open the tomb, that is what hits. That hits. It's foul. Go home and clean out your fridges after the day. That'd be a good thing. Cracks it open. The smell is foul. And Jesus prays. Jesus prays. <laughs> Are you getting a sense of Jesus' humanness, his emotion, his passion? And we're about to see his power, but at the moment we're moving towards that. And in that, his dependence and his prayer, because he knows that the one person that can do anything about that is him and his father. And so he prays, and it's not for his benefit, he says this is a benefit for those that are listening. He says this prayer is for those people here, they need to listen to this. And he prays, doesn't he? Uh, there's a couple of good things here I think we can take out of his prayer if you want to just jot these down or remember them. Uh, one is that his focus of his prayer is where? He says, Father. He doesn't launch into his requests. He doesn't launch into his issues or his problems or what's going on. His focus is first of all on the person that needs to be rightly in that place, God the Father, his Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. His focus is there. Good Good lesson for us in our prayers, isn't it? To go to our focus is first on him. Second, his confidence. He says, this is not for me, but it's for them. I know you hear me. He, he's confident in his prayer, isn't he? He doesn't get down in his prayer and think, is God going to hear me? He knows God's going to hear him. And Jesus says when we're in him, he hears us too. We can have that confidence as well. And the style of the prayer, isn't it? The way that he works through that prayer is he works through from his father to the situation that's around him, the things that are going on. He works towards that. And the fruit of it is that there is faith, isn't it? He wants them to believe. He wants people to believe out of this prayer who he is. And there's an encouragement in this prayer that we can be doing that too. But he prays. And then he makes probably one of the most scary statements ever. This is a profound statement, isn't it? Lazarus, come out. Now, this has got a lot hinging on it, hasn't it? Have you ever made a statement that's got a lot hinging on it? Made a pronouncement about something that you believe and there's a lot hinging on it. You made a, you've done something, you've made a quote for something, you've made a promise to something, you've made a, there's a lot hanging on some of these things we say, isn't there? But there's a huge man hanging on this, isn't there? Imagine it. All these people are watching. This bloke who stinketh is inside there decomposing four days and Jesus says, come out. Pause. The wait. This doesn't happen. 
cool library, isn't it? Lazarus is going to be dead still, and Jesus' credibility has been completely gone. This is a bold statement. But Lazarus comes out. Lazarus walks out. He who stinketh, stinketh no more. It's phenomenal, isn't it? Seriously phenomenal. This is the Jesus that we're talking about that says, come and see, I am the resurrection and the life. I am going to show you this here and now in Lazarus. But you know what? Lazarus still dies later on. So this is only a partial resurrection. This is actually really a resuscitation in one sense. The real resurrection is to come. The real resurrection is not someone calling them to come out. It's Jesus taking his life up himself. No one calls Jesus out of the tomb. No one, he's not dependent upon anyone to raise him up. Jesus raises himself because he's the resurrection and the life. He needs no one else to do it for him. He does it. That is mind-blowing. That song that we sang before, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. So Jesus is saying, he's the resurrected king and he's resurrecting you and me. Here and now he's transforming us to become more like Jesus and in the end, in eternity, he's going to resurrect us to perfection. What a wonderful saviour. This guy is something to come and see, isn't he? Because from the cross to the grave to the resurrection, Jesus is it. Amen, isn't he? Hallelujah, right? That has got to be something that motivates you. I don't know where you're at in where you're thinking and all this sort of stuff, but please come and see this. If you haven't seen this before, test it out. Because Jesus is it. He's the answer for you. You want to put your trust in him and have him as your resurrection in life, please see me afterwards. Talk to me about it. I'd love to explain it more to you. If you already know Jesus and put your trust in him, well, get a glimpse of the phenomenal, amazing Jesus that loves you, who feels for you, who has that passion for you, who weeps for you, who's moved emotionally for you, who gives you life and wants to raise you to life forever, who calls a person out of the grave and he comes who goes into the grave himself and rises himself. He's it. The best gift you can have this Father's Day, whether you're a mum or a dad or you're not yet, is Jesus. He says, here I am and I've got so much more for you. This is a start. I'm going to play just a clip. This is all very popular at the moment. It's called Spoken Word. Uh, which is a poem, really. But um, it's the new way of talking about it. But uh, just to help us allow that to sink in, it's called uh, If You'd Been.
If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd tried. Were you otherwise occupied? Were you hiding? Biding your time? For what? A deeper challenge? A grander entrance? A brighter glory? A better story? The nick of time is a good story. That would do. Eleventh hour, you'd come through. Midnight, you were due. Now it's half past two. Where were you? If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You were meant to ride in on the white horse, enter the fray, the dragon slay, save the day. Did you hear us pray? Did you want it this way? If you'd been here to stop him dying, why are you crying? You're meant to be death-defying. Why are you sighing at the tomb, decrying mortal ruin? Why in God's name are you queuing for the same? You're commander-in-chief. We demanded relief. Now you landed beneath all our sorrows and grief. Now it's you on your knees, empty-handed, bequeathing as none of our pleas. Is this what you chose? To bring only tears? We got plenty of those. Why are you here? You say to draw near. And then to sink like a stone past the brink of the chasm we desperately fear. In darkness unfolded our terrors you shouldered while pierced by the nails and the spear. You have been here. You've stooped far below all depths that we know. Engulfed in our weeping and woe. Submerged in the grave, then risen to save, upending assumptions we'd made. See, if you'd been here the way that we prayed, we'd only succeed in death delayed. We'd only evade the reaper for now, but soon we would bow. Soon we'd be plowed in the ground with no one to plead. Yet, through you, death's a gardener, and we are the seed. And this is the path resurrection decreed. If you will be here, drawing near, that will do. For now, to know you in your grace, we can face what is true. As in Adam, the world dies. So in Christ, all will rise. When you appear, my brother too, when you wipe away tears, darkness clears, when morning has cheered, when joy swallows fear, here's how we'll cope, this our true hope, you will be here. Jesus is here. He says, come follow me, because I am here with you. He's drawn near, he's here with us now, and he'll be there with us in the end, in eternity with him. He says, come follow me. Don't sit back, don't put it off to another day, come follow me. Uh, this is a great quote by a guy called Jimmy Elliot. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep 
to gain what he cannot lose. He is of no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Give our lives to God and we will not lose them. We cannot lose it. Jesus has us. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to us this morning, he says to her, he says to you and me, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it takes a bit just to gather all that in. Lord, we pray that we won't leave from here and forget what we've heard and seen and thought about this morning, Lord. That your spirit will take that and apply that and transform us from the inside out, Lord. And our souls will know that you, Lord, are the resurrection and the life. That we will believe this, that we will come follow you, Lord, to give you our all. Because in you, Lord, we lose nothing. We have everything now and for eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.